All right, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Philippians and chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And they're going to begin reading at verse 12 and read down through verse 16. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as my, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputings. That you be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The title of the message this morning is, Work Out Your Own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your word. I pray, Father, that as the word of God goes forth this morning, that it would go forth in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. For I know, Father, without you, I can do nothing. I pray that the Spirit of God would have his will and his way in each of our hearts. You open our minds to receive thy truth, give wisdom, in handling and preaching the word of God and declaring thy truth. And I pray that you would have your will and way and you be glorified. And Lord, if there's any in our midst this morning who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and not have a personal relationship with him, I pray that today the Spirit of God would work their hearts and bring them to repentance and faith. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> On October 19th, 1781, General Cornwallis and the most powerful army in the world surrendered to General George Washington in the American army at Yorktown. You know, as the British and Hessian troops, which were hired Germans, marched down out and laid down their arms, the British played a tune. It was called, The World Has Turned upside down. Although we live in a world that is turned upside down, where wrong is promoted and accepted as right, and right is looked upon as wrong, yet we, through the power of God, can work out our own salvation in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Now you may think, well, it's different than it was when this was written. Well, do you know what Philippi was like in the day in Paul's writing? What the Roman Empire was like in those days? Homosexuality abounded even amongst the leaders of the nation. Paul called it then a crooked and perverse nation. He said, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. See, no matter what the situation of the world is, we can, by the power of God, work out our own salvation and shine as lights in this world in which we're living. So as we consider this this morning, working out your own salvation, of course, this doesn't mean that we work for our salvation or that we earn our salvation. That's not what 
the phrase work out your own salvation means. There's several things that are required. First of all, there has to be an application of our salvation. That's what really means to work out your own salvation. It means to apply it to life. If your salvation hasn't affected the way you live, you do not have Bible salvation. If it hasn't changed the way you live, the way you think, there has to be a living out of our faith. James 2.20 says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. In the context there, he talked about Abraham's faith. See, Abraham's faith affected his way of life. He talked about Rahab also. Rahab's faith changed her manner of living. She not only trusted in God and the God of Israel as her Savior and her Redeemer, but she married and became a mother in Israel. A mother of that man called Boaz. A godly man. See, it changed. Her salvation changed her manner of living. It affected her life. You see, we are to rest in the promise of the eternal life that God has given to us through salvation, and then we're to act upon those promises and make them our own in our everyday life. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And Paul says here, not as in my presence only. He says you're to work out. That word work out means to perform. has the idea of like to perform or to teach, to do do that from which something results. So there ought to be results. There ought to be fruits. As the Bible tells us in Matthew and 7, two times, that by their fruits ye shall know them. We're to obey the commands of God in the experiences of life, trusting Him to direct, to provide in the circumstances of life. Thereby learning to experience victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil for yourself. Paul said you have to work out your own. Even in my absence. He talked about that in his own life. To experience the outworking of the Spirit of God. In, For example, in 2 Corinthians 12, and verse 12, he says, Truly the signs of the apostle were wrought. In other words, they were worked out in my life. Among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So, so you saw the, the God working in my life. Now let's see God working in your life. Work out your salvation. Galatians 6, 4 says, Let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You know, it's wonderful to rejoice in what God's doing in somebody else's life, but we ought to be able to rejoice in what God's doing in your own life. Now it says here that we're to work out our own salvation with. Now, I'm not an English scholar. I got plenty of them in my family, it seems. But, but the word with here, I understand, is a preposition. I did have a little bit of English, but I do know how to cheat too, uh, to find out what I want to know. But anyway, it's a preposition, and it means it's, it accompanies or goes along with, and so. He's telling us there's some things that go along with working out your salvation. And he mentions two things. Fear and trembling. Now I believe that one of those 
has to do with our outlook or our view of God. The other has to do with our view of self. And both are needed. So we have to work out our salvation with fear. First of all, with fear. The word fear means deep reverence, respect, which results in a deference or a yielding to. Now, if if I was to come in here this morning, you know, if you if you weren't so sure that I was going to be here, and somebody was up here, uh, 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 was prepared to take the service, but if I came, they would they would defer because it's my position to be the pastor, so they would defer to me to to preach the message, and because out of respect, and that's what this word fear here means, and so. The idea here is that we fear, we realize that God is so much greater than us. His wisdom is beyond us. His power, His greatness, His holiness is so much beyond us in every thought and all understanding. His wisdom is past finding out. Therefore, we yield to His way. We yield to His way. We will give place to Him. When we have a difference of opinion between us and God, we... We yield to God. We, we yield the floor, so to speak. You know what I mean. That's what it means to fear. You know, in Hebrews 11.7, and I think this illustrates this very clearly, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So he was warned by God of things that he'd never seen. Rain. A flood. No one had ever seen that. Noah had never seen that. But God said it's going to happen. So being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, he moved with fear. He yielded to the command or the instruction that God had given him because he believed God. He understood that God was so much greater than he was, so much wiser than he was, and, and he yielded to, them, to God. He yielded to God. He moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You see, he yielded to God believing that what God said would come to pass. He moved with fear. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Looking to God. Obeying Him. Yielding to Him. Even when I don't understand. You know, there's many things I did and, and taught my kids and, 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 and corrected them of things they didn't understand. And as they got older, they understood. You know, a little, little child, little two-year-old, doesn't really understand why a, a Keras sun heater is hot. And they will lay their hand on it. They have to be taught. No. You don't touch a Keras sun heater. Now, they don't really know why. And I didn't sit down with a little two-year-old and explain why it's hot. Now, when they get 8, 9, 10, they can understand why it's hot. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we, you and I don't understand. A lot of things in the Bible that God tells us to do that we really don't understand or we don't think, we don't rationalize that that, that could work out for the best. 
But you need to understand that God is much wiser than you are, much greater than you are, more mighty than you are, and He can work out circumstances that you don't understand, and you need to fear and yield to Him. Even when you don't understand. You need to do what's right in His sight and let God take care of the circumstances and the consequences or the blessings that follow. So we need to work out your own salvation with fear. Secondly, he says, with trembling. The word trembling here is, is just like we would think of it. I mean, used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability to completely to meet all requirements, but does his utmost to fulfill his duty. So here's, here's one who trembles. He's, he's anxious. They distrust their own ability. Again, this has to do with look at the view of yourself. Distrust his own ability to meet their, all the requirements. How often have you ever said, I can't do that? You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The, the only thing is you need to understand that you can do anything God asks of you to do. You can do anything God commands you to do. Now, sometimes people say, well, I can't talk to my neighbor right Lord. Oh, yes, you can. It may not be in your ability, and you may be anxious about it. You may be anxious about doing it, but if God has, God has commanded us to be witnesses, then He also will give us the ability to do it. And this is the idea here, that, you know, uh, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There are things that God commands us to do which cause us to fear, cause us, may cause us to be anxious, because we don't understand how the, how the, it's all gonna work out. Noah couldn't see the end from the beginning. He couldn't know for sure, you know, for certain, other than the promise that he had of God, that it was going to rain. And yet he's building this big boat where there's no water. Why? Because he believed God. And he did not rely on his own abilities. Paul, when he wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, Paul didn't fear the Corinthians. He didn't fear the persecution. What he feared and what he trembled over and what he distrusted was himself was having confidence in his flesh to perform his religious duty that God had given him. He knew that God had given him a responsibility to preach the gospel. In fact, here in chapter 3, in verse 3 of Philippians, he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He said, I don't have any confidence in my flesh. And so if therefore I was with you with much trembling, I distrusted my own abilities. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 2, he says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We have to 
learn to distrust our own abilities. You know, Joseph distrusted himself. That's why he was so cautious. David put confidence in his flesh. And he fell. If we put confidence in our flesh, we're going to fall. We're going to fall. In John 15, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, I am the true vine, my father is the husband. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, and abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. The psalmist said in Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, the vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You see, our abilities are vain. Without God. You know, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. The power is in the gospel, not in the crafty persuasion of one who's witnessing it. Power is in the gospel. Now we have wisdom in handling the gospel. Paul said he, he did not catch them with craft. But it was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And so there has to be this application of salvation with fear and trembling. Secondly, there need, we must acknowledge the power for victorious living. If you notice in verse 13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is God. See, the power, the provision of power is of God. In chapter 1, verse 21, He said, For me to live is Christ. In other words, there's my power. There's my life. There's my vigor. There's my activity. It is Christ. It is God. In Colossians 3, 4, He said, when Christ, who is our life, 1 John 5, this is the record that God hath given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. See, life is defined as active, animated, vitality. That's what life is. And God is the source of life. He's the source of our activity. He's the source of our vitality. He is the giving energy, if you will. He is the power to, to, uh, that gives us to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. In verse 13 again it says, For it is God which worketh in you. That word worketh is the word energo, where we get our word energy, and it means to be operative, that is at work, who is putting forth the power to affect, to change, transform your life. From the inside out. See, God works in your spirit, in the inner man, in the heart. He works to give you a new heart. God doesn't resist. You know, so don't resist God working in your life. It is the wonderful life. And see, it is God is the power. 
Roy Lauren told the story, quote, that during the construction of the, one of the East Bridges, river bridges in New York, the engineers, in sinking their caissons into the river, encountered a sunken hulk of an old barge, which would not yield to removal. It becomes so securely embedded in the river that mud that engines, cables, derricks were powerless to remove it. At this point, a young man, fresh from technical school, appeared on the scene. After studying the problem, asked permission to try his hand. Permission granted, he had a large barge towed to the spot at the approach of low tide. And its ends were fastened by huge chains to the sunken hulk. Then when the tide came in with its irresistible power, the surface barge rose with the swelling of the tide, lifting with it the submerged wreck. See, the young engineer had made use of the limitless natural power of the ocean tides. And that's an example to us that our lives, when linked to God, tied with God through salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ, given the life of God, can be lifted, transformed, energized, and empowered by the power that worketh in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 19 and 20, he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and set Him in His own right hand in heavenly places? 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, But by the grace of God I am what I am. See, it was all the grace of God working in His life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-16, through 16, again Paul would say, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor, injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, and that word grace has, has the, uh, the enabling power uh, of God. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. You see, Paul was saying, look, this, this power that worketh in us, it has the power to transform, it has the power to change your life. The only reason we don't get changed is because we resist the working of God in our life. So there's this provision of power. We see also the purpose of this divine power. Notice again verse 13. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which worketh in you, here it is, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The purpose of this divine power being given or made available to us is to will and to do of His good pleasure. Would it, the, 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 the idea of good pleasure means everything that pleases God. Uh, after all, 
you know, everything that God does is good. Because He is good. To will means, the, the, the word where to will means to have in mind. To be resolved. Determined. Or purpose. Daniel purposed in his heart. In other words, he is, it was his will. It was in his mind. He was resolved. He was determined to do what was right in the sight of his God. Now, God put that there. It all has to do with his relationship with God. You know, this is where choices are made and ordered into effect. The will. We have to be, have the mind to do. We have to have the mind to do it. We're not to question it. We're just to have the mind to do it. Fearing God. Yielding to Him. That's the issue here. Again, this is where choices are made in order to fact. You know, issues of holiness, music, dress, church attendance, membership, Bible reading, these are issues of the heart. They're just not external things. People just think they're external things and they really don't matter. No, they're issues of the heart. Because God is a holy God. But these issues manifest themselves in the outer man. They're not just external issues, but internal ones. It's an issue of submission to a holy God. Is my heart surrendered to God? Is it my mind, is it my mind to do the will of God? So the divine purpose is to both, to will, to will to do that which pleases God. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Yeah, God wants to reveal his will to us, but we have to be willing to do it. We have to be willing to do it. And if we're willing to do it, we will know. And then he says to will and to do. The, the phrase to do goes back to that word energo again, which means to be operative, to affect. So the, the, the choices are made in the mind, which are ordered then into effect to do it. It's to show operative. Ephesians 2.10 says we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In other words, now, Daniel is building a bookcase out of pallet wood. So, if you came to my house right now, I could take you down to the shop and show you Daniel's pallet wood workmanship. That's his workmanship. And the Bible says we are his workmanship. An interesting thing is, this word workmanship is the Greek word poema. Where we get our word poem. A poem is a composition in verse, especially one that is characterized by highly developed artistic form and by the use of heightened language and rhythm 
to express an intensely imaginative interpretation of the subject. So a poem really is something put the words to express or to express to the imagination a subject. You see, you and I are like a poem that are to express to the world our God. Our God. By the things that we do. We're expressed to the world. Our God. Did Peter tell us to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the reason, the hope, and life, and then you with meekness and fear? You see, we have the privilege to express by our will, our heart, and our minds, and the actions doing the power and glory in God of God. To express the world by our attitudes and actions, the greatness of our God, His power to change and transform our life, to give purpose to life, even in the midst of this wicked and perverse world. Second <coughs> Corinthians chapter three, verses three and four. Paul wrote this concerning the church at Corinth. He says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, forasmuch as you are manifestly declared to the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of heart. And such ha- trust have we through Christ to Godward. You see, you, he said, you are a living expression of God to the world around you. Well, think about Corinth for a little bit. Okay, there were people in the church of Corinth who were, were adulterers, fornicators, homosexuals. Were. But he said, but now you are sanctified. Now you are justified by the Spirit of our God. You see, there were people in that church that expressed to the world by the transformation in their lives that God's power can give victory over the grossest sins in life. He can give it. Even in the midst, you know, think about Corinth. Corinth was a cesspool of sin. But even in Corinth, God's power is being displayed. What's being expressed? And so, the purpose of His power is to will and to do of His good pleasure. To affect our, our lives. God's power and effect in our lives is limited only by our fear to yield our lives to Him. It's hindered by our own pride self-preservation, perfecting our self-image, our own self-interest, and our own reputations. Those are the things that limit the power of God. Well, I might be embarrassed. One of the things Brother Forney used to always say, if you're going to be a missionary, 
one of the very first things you need to learn to do is laugh at yourself. Because if you can't laugh at yourself, you're not going to make it on the foreign field. See, most too, too, too often we're worried about our self-preservation and our self-image. And we limit. We limit God's power. You know, sometimes the best thing you do is say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That'll earn you respect more than trying to cover your sin. See, God throughout history has greatly used men and women who were sinners, who had the mind of Christ to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yeah, Abraham was willing to offer his own son. His own flesh and blood. One whom had been promised him would fulfill the promises made to him. Yet he was willing to offer him. That's like dying to yourself. It's like crucifying your own self. Yeah, that's what it is. Your Jochebed saved her man-child because it was the will of God. And then trusted his fate to Almighty God, hid him in the flags by the river, not knowing what would become of him. But she was of the mind to will and do his good pleasure. Because we know that man-child became Moses, the man of God. Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible and led the children of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Mary would say, how can this be? Of course, the angel said, with God, all things are possible. He might say, I can't do this. If it is the will of God, you can. For Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You know, the shepherd whose brother and the king said, you can't kill that giant, said, God will give me the victory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before the most powerful man on the earth at the time who says, and who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? Now let me summarize their response. Well, our God can. He is able. But if He chooses not to deliver us, our bodies... He will deliver our souls. Therefore, King, we will not bow. Be right. You see, they had a mind to do. To will, to do His good pleasure. That's the purpose of the power. Then notice thirdly, 
This needs to be a f- acceptance of the afflictions of the gospel. Notice in verse 14, there are several things I want to mention here. Having a right attitude. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. It mentions two things, and this has to do with our attitude. Murmuring, secret displeasure, not openly avowed, without querulous discontent, with a cheerful and willing mind. So, if you're going to do things without murmurings, you do it without a querulous or an argument of discontent. You do it with a cheerful and willing mind. You know, many times we are discontent with where the Lord has placed us, and there is secret displeasure. No cheerful and willing mind to serve the Lord. Well, I just don't like these people. Murmurings. He said we're to do all these things. You see, if we're going to have a will to do, we have to cast off murmuring. Discontent. Secret displeasure. Disputings. A deliberating, questioning about what is true when in reference to what ought to be done. Hesitation, doubting. So, so you know, there's murmurings, and then there's, there's questioning. We begin to question the will of God by questioning the authority God has placed us over us. You know, that's what the ten spies did. They questioned God by questioning God's leadership. See, their questions were directed at Moses and Aaron, but by doing so, they're really questioning God. Of course, Korah, Datham, Abiman again questions God's choice of Mary or Moses and Aaron. Aaron and Miriam question Moses again. You know, all, all this, this is, this is, they were disputing what God had said. They were questioning what was true. Moses did not appoint himself. And questioning, and thereby they question what should be done. See, the, the ten spies said, look, look, we can't go up there. We can't go up there and, and defeat those giants. You know, they're, they're questioning what God has commanded to be done. Now, when God gives us commands, we're not to question them. We're not to dispute them. We're not to argue them. And throughout the Bible, when people questioned the will of God and the man of God, it was often times of affliction, hard choices they did not want to make or accept responsibility for. You know, how many people leave churches because they don't want responsibility or accountability? You know, how many people leave their jobs, homes, and live on the streets trying to escape the trials? the responsibilities and the afflictions of life. Now, you're going to have a hard time finding this now, but I read an article some years ago that many of the people that live in homeless on the streets are well-educated. They're well-educated. Many of them were successful in life. But they couldn't handle the hardships. 
You know, hardships reveal who we really are. And it also reveals whether we are yielding to God. You see, it's the afflictions of life that have potential for the greatest growth and blessings in life. And that's something we don't like to hear. But it is true. It was fleeing, leaving behind Egypt and all it had to offer that brought Moses to the desert where he met the I Am. That forever changed his life. See, after all, in Egypt, Moses was a man mighty in words and deeds. He was a man's man. He was somebody in the world going someplace and doing something. But in the desert, he became meek Moses. Mighty in God. You see, murmuring and disputing only discredits our testimony and mars the image of God. So having a right attitude. Secondly, we must display right actions. Notice verse 15 and 16. It says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we need to be displaying right actions. It says we're to be blameless. That means deserving no censure, free from fault or defect. It doesn't mean that the world isn't going to try and discredit you and censure you, but it means that we're not going to have anything for cause of censure. Any defect that they can hang on to and drag us down with. Now they make up things. The world's good at making up things. So we'll see tonight, he's looking at the rest of Christ. They, they made up a lot of things. And Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They're going to say these things about me, they're going to say them about you. But we need to be blameless and harmless. The word harmless means of the mind without a mixture of evil. In other words, free from God, we're innocent. We, have, we, 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 we don't have any evil mixed into our conduct in life. It means to be without ill will to anyone. Has the idea of pure in motives. Harmless. You often pray for our nation, for our leaders, and pray that God would judge. But in judgment, remember mercy. They need to repent. But you know, it's afflictions and hardships that will bring people to repentance like nothing else. And then it says without rebuke. Again, it means basically the same thing as blameless. In other words, there's nothing they can hang you with. They can really pin on you. 
in, I don't, for sake of time, but Titus chapter 2 talks about everyone to be an example there of the believer. To be without rebuke, be harmless. First uh, Timothy 5.14 talks about the younger women, that they bear children, guide the house. Give none occasion to adversary to speak reproach, reproachfully. And that should be the desired conduct of every one of us. Don't give any, don't give any, any occasion to the adversary. You know, David gave great occasion to the enemy by his sin. May God help us not to give occasion. You know, the world will try us. The world will tempt us. Paul says we live in a crooked and perverse nation. That means it's wicked. It's turned aside from right. It's upside down. You know, right has become wrong and high crimes are going unpunished while some who have exercised their constitutional rights are being censured and punished. Free speech is under assault. Freedom of religion is under attack. It's a perverse and crooked nation we live in. However, we're still commanded to hold forth the word of life. To shine forth as lights. You know, if there was ever a day we need to shine clearly, it's today. And I firmly believe that our nation is going the way our churches are going. So much of Christianity in America is a farce. It's what's popular. It's a farce. And it has no respect from the world. It just does the world's bidding. When the world pressures, it capitulates. From the Southern Baptist Convention to these you know, TV preachers, Southern Baptist Convention is now teaching critical race theory. Right over here at Wake Forest. I'll give you a little, tell you a little more about that evening. No, we need to shine forth as lights. Shine clearly. Give people, the world, a clear expression. The poem? A clear expression of the greatness and the glory and the holiness of our God. You know, we must not like be like OPEC or frosted glass. You know, frosted glass is glass that's got a covering coating on it so that you can't, the light will still come through, but you can't see through it. You can't see clearly. It hinders the view. We must not be like that, that we would prevent or hinder the view of the world to our God. We must hold forth the word of life. Working out our own salvation with a will, a heart, and a doing of His good pleasure. How is it with you this morning?
Are you working out your own salvation? Maybe I should ask this. Are you allowing God to work it in so that it can work out? Because it's God that both wills and to do. You have to go God. You have to take God in. Receive of His Word. Meditate upon His promises. Apply them to life. If you want to shine forth as a light in this crooked and burdened world. Is He working in your life? Do you know Him as your Lord?